Right. Good morning, beautiful people. Uh, good to be together. You folks are way too kind. <laughs> Just hang on. Let me finish first before y'all do all of that. No, but it's so good to be together in the presence of God. I mean, you made it. We made it through. Whatever you had to press through uh, to get here this morning. You know, uh, sometimes it's uh, coming to church. You, when you walk through those doors, it has like the matrix effect. You know, you're trying to get everybody ready or you're trying to get ready and you get ready. Didn't I say get ready? You know, you shaking kids. Didn't you hear me? Didn't you hear what I said? And then you come in the door and it's just like, pie. I'm blessed and highly favored, you know? <laughs> but all of that wrestling that we go through we just give it to God. He receives it. So worship doesn't necessarily start when we get here. All the wrestling that we're going through to get here, we can offer that up as worship too. God knows what we're battling. So good to see you and glad that you're here. Um, now, we are starting a new series today. Um, we will be looking at the book of First Peter. And uh, the title of this series is called Everyday Saints, Everyday Saints. Now, Brian Matheson has uh, hooked up some everyday saints back there, some regular, ordinary-looking people with the kind of stained-glass look. Um, so he, he did a good job with that, awesome job. <clears throat> but often when you think of saints, you think of these special human beings who did these awesome, great things. And it's like, oh, they're saints and we're not. But the truth of God's word is that anybody who is redeemed by the blood of the lamb is a saint. <laughs> and so what we do on a daily basis may not get worldwide recognition, but it is important. And it plays into a bigger picture. And what we're going to see in the book of First Peter is that loving your spouse well, that qualifies for sainthood. Loving your children well, that qualifies for sainthood. When you're working well on your job, you're honoring your employer or your employees or your coworkers. All of those things are playing a part in a bigger picture. And so in the end, at the end of days, when we stand before the Father, what we want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And what we don't want to, two things we don't want to ever get switched up is fame and faithfulness. Two different things. If we're not famous, if our name is not known around the world, all right, that's cool. But faithfulness, <laughs> faithfulness gets God's attention. And so that's what we want to hear him say, not, hey, everybody knew you, everybody had these great things to say about you because you could have fame and not be obedient in doing anything that God has asked or called you to do. And we don't want fame, we want faithfulness. We want to be able to say, 
hear God say, you know what? You've done what I've asked you to do. You necessarily didn't do it perfectly, but you persevered. And that's what we want to see. So in the book of 1 Peter, if you turn there, we are going to look and um, see what Peter has to say to us. 1 Peter, I believe it is after maybe the book of James. All right. And so when you are there, say yes. All right. And you don't really have to get there, too, because we're going to put it on the screen. So, you know. All right. So looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and I'll read just a couple of verses here. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We'll pause there. Interesting greeting here by Peter. And uh, we see that Peter, at the end of this book, we see that Peter is writing from what he says is Babylon. And it's probably cold from he's writing from Rome. And he's in this, he's writing to those who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, we've got a, a visual here of a map so that you can see. Now, he's writing this letter, and it's not like he's going to send out an email and it's going to get to all of these churches. Or it's not like they've got copies already. But he's going to have people carry this letter to these churches. Here's Bithynia and Pontus, Galatia, Galatia, Cappadocia, back through Galatia, over to Asia. And you have bodies of believers that are scattered all through this area here. This is modern-day Turkey. And so this one letter has to make its circuit to all of these churches, all of these bodies of believers. Now, I'll give you this little tidbit, and you can practice this when you read Scripture. Because we all have individual Bibles, and that's not a bad thing, we tend to read Scripture from an individual perspective. But there are individual calls, but there are also communal calls, where he's talking to the body as a whole. So there's individual things that are written for us as individuals, but there's also things that are written to speak to us collective. And so he's writing this letter to this collective body, and he says to them, notice how he addresses them. He says, to those who are elect exiles. Elect is a word that means chosen. You're chosen. Exiles means you're rejected. <laughs> so he says, to the chosen rejected ones. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that we are chosen because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That God 
He doesn't desire that anyone should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. And so by God's grace, we have responded to that invitation. And so we are chosen. You are chosen. But in terms of the world, there's an element of rejection, exiles. And why this is um, important for this particular church, because in this context, um, in the Roman Empire, during this time period, things are not so good. Things are not going well in terms of the surrounding environment for the early church. Now, when scholars and theologians try to date this letter, um, there's kind of three emperors. Um, they kind of place this letter during their reign. Um, and so I have three emperors here, uh, the Emperor Nero, Domitian, and Trajan. These three emperors, you know, scholars kind of disagree. No, I think it was during this time period. But most of the scholars point to Nero. Now, if you know anything about Nero, you know when it comes to believers, this ain't a nice guy. Nero was known to light his, his palace, his campus area of his, of his palace, with human torches who were Christians. This guy was known to torture believers in Jesus Christ. Wasn't a nice guy. There's a, a rumor that there was a fire that broke out because Nero, he, you know, he wanted to have a redeveloped area of the city. And so he was like, hmm, how can I get my plan to, how can I bring my plan to fruition? Oh, I know, I'll burn it down. Had some of his men burn it down, and the city was going nuts. Hey, who, who did this? Nero. It was those Christians. It was those followers of Jesus. They did it. And so if you can imagine living in this time where you are being persecuted for your faith. Now, not the sense of Christians are so judgmental, they believe sin is sin, and they believe that we're all sinners. They're so judgmental. You know, today we label that persecution. <laughs> and it, it is, it's a very low level, but none of us have been burned and lit on, on fire like a torch. We haven't experienced that kind of persecution. So Paul is writing to these believers. He's saying, look, you're beloved. You're accepted in the family of God. But where you are right now is a hostile environment. And so he's writing to encourage these believers who are living under that kind of pressure, under that kind of attack. And you've got to admit, like, if you get caught or found out for being a believer in Jesus Christ and they say to you, look, we are going to torture you and then kill you in front of your, your wife and your children, but we'll give you a pass if you denounce Jesus as Lord. This is the challenge some of those believers are facing. There are many who denounced then there are many who said, Jesus is Lord. And they are what we called as martyrs, witnesses, those who knew their Lord, knew his goodness, knew the greatness of his salvation, the power of his grace. And they said, you know what? 
If I die right now in this moment, what's coming after this life is so much more glorious that I'll deal with the temporary punishment. How would you hold up in those times? The truth of the matter is none of us really know. You know, we like to think the best of ourselves, but we really don't know. So that's kind of the environment. And so if you're a believer, maybe the temptation to live in those times, to live out your faith is maybe in secret, right? Oh, I ain't saying nothing. You know, I'm just going to go to work, do what I got to do, mind my own business, not say anything to anybody. And that might be a good survival strategy. But what does Peter have to think about that? What does our Lord call us to do in times like that? That's what we're going to wrestle with in this letter. Those are things that we'll look at. And so Peter, he wants to speak to this church and give them some encouragement because they need encouragement. They need encouragement. And it's hard for us in our context to relate to that Uh, But we have churches in the Sudan, churches in various parts of the world that are bearing up under that kind of persecution. And I say, thank you, Lord, for where we are. This is where you've placed us. But we cannot forget those who are living in these present circumstances. And it's important that we pray uh, for some of those churches. As a matter of fact, I found something and I'll just give you a a few of those places. Here it is, the top 10 worst countries to be a Christian in. One of those countries is listed as North Korea. Christians and Christian missionaries are routinely imprisoned in labor camps. Afghanistan. The government of this Muslim country does not recognize any of its citizens as Christians. There's Somalia. There's the Sudan. There's Pakistan, there's Eritrea, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, Iran, just a few. And these are people, believers, who are standing, our brothers and sisters in the faith, while we are enjoying comfort, they're fighting for their lives. And I didn't get a chance to do this yesterday, but before we go any further, let's pause and let's pray for them. Let's do that. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for your body of believers throughout the world, especially our our persecuted brothers and sisters, those who may be uh, locked in prison, those who may be presently being tortured right now or being put to death. We ask that, as Peter said, may your grace and peace be multiplied to them. And God, we know that often the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church that through their lives may great witness be born to those who are lost, that your name may be glorified, and Father, that your gospel would continue to go forth in power and demonstration of the Spirit. We pray for them, Lord. Be with them. Let them know your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Peter, he's... I've listed some encouragements that he's going to encourage this group of believers with, and there'll be some things for us, and I'll kind of weave those in in as we go along here. But looking at uh, the first encouragement that Peter wants to give them is, number one, as rough as it is, don't forget to celebrate salvation. Don't forget to celebrate salvation. Uh, 
In 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 4, he says, I'm sorry, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's telling these believers, he says, look, he says, first of all, let's just bless God because you have been born again. You have such a great salvation. And though you're experiencing so much turmoil, so much trouble, so much pain, and you could be harmed, your belongings, things that you own, your property could be harmed. But let me tell you about this salvation and this inheritance that you have from God. He says that it is imperishable. It is undefiled. And it is unfading. This is a very real thing. And God himself is protecting this thing. So no matter what you go through, your relationship with God, what God is doing in your life, this transformation that's taking place, your inheritance that you're experiencing a little bit right now and in the world to come, there is nothing that can take that away. Nothing. And he says, you know what? We got to give God praise and thanks for this. We got to give him glory and honor that we have such a great salvation. I think for us, we may not be facing that type of persecution, but I, I believe that we are kind of in between. We are experiencing a kind of marginalization where we're sort of being forced into the margins. Today, uh, we're asked to, hey, you can work for us, but hey, I, I know that you say you're a Christian, but would you leave your faith outside the door when you come in this place? Uh, students are hearing, hey, leave your faith outside the classroom. We only discuss scientific things, you know, things that we can prove, things that we can test and study in this classroom. Leave that on the outside. And so increasingly in this country, we are facing a type of marginalization where it's not oftentimes so favorable to let people know that I'm a Christian because they may all of a sudden treat you different, or they may even have this disdain without even knowing you as a person. And so we are experiencing this marginalization. But on the other hand, I think as believers, because of the history of America, because of this country being founded on Judeo-Christian principles, that we do enjoy a good amount of privilege as believers. Would you not agree? We are not facing the amount of persecution that our brothers and sisters in other countries who have not been founded on the same principles, that they're, we're not facing the same type of things that they're facing. And so we, we face this danger. There's the danger of how do I live when I'm being marginalized? But there's the other real danger of how do I live out my faith when it's comfortable and cozy? 
Because if you study the church throughout history, you'll find out that the church was truly the church in times of suffering and persecution. You even see that in the Old Testament with the people of God is when they go into exile, when they're facing hard times, it's all of a sudden that they rise up and begin to do the things that they're called to do. And so I'm not saying, Lord, bring on the persecution. By no means am I saying that. But what I'm saying is we have to be aware. Uh, there's a, um, a philosopher uh, by the name of Marshall McLuhan, and I can't think of the, oh, I think the book he wrote is The Message is the Medium. But in it, he talks about that some countries face the danger of like having not enough food. And he says, and that's a danger and we should help them out and do what we can to help them meet that need or that crisis. But he said he believed that there was a far more, more insidious, dangerous thing. And that was for those who had plenty to eat. Because those who have plenty to eat, they just eat, eat, eat. And, you know, whenever I go to a party, I kind of watch and see if there's meatballs on the table, you know. <laughs> because meatballs are good, but meatballs are tricky. You know, you just eat one of those things. They so bite-sized. You eat them, and you eat them, and you keep eating. And they're, wait a minute, how many of these things have I eaten? You're just popping them in, popping them, popping them. But I think that it's in comfort, in seasons of plenty, it's easy to be lulled asleep. And that fire that used to burn in you for the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, I want to read the Bible, but my show is on tonight. Oh. Lord, you could speak to me through the show. You know, we, <laughs> and, and so, you know, we're sort of in between, but we can't get comfortable with our faith because while on one hand we're being, we're being marginalized, on the other hand, we're thinking everything is okie dokie and we're being lulled to sleep and our lives are ineffective for the kingdom. And we don't, we want to be our best. We want to be on guard, whether no matter what the season is, no matter what we're experiencing. All right, so this next encouragement that comes from Peter that you're going to see throughout this series is he encourages them to live with an eternal perspective. Live with an eternal perspective. In the first chapter in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, look, I know that you are experiencing tough times. I know that you are going through some rough trials, but they're like these fast food restaurant specials. It's for a limited time only. It's for a limited time only. 
not to make light of it, but rejoice in that it's only for a little while. Trouble don't last always. It's only for a little bit, and what's coming after this is much better. And you know, James, he says it this way. He says, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you face all kinds of trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, it develops patience in you. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, that you may be mature, not lacking anything. What is he saying? He's saying these things that we're experiencing, it may be fiery, but it's like gold. When I come through, I'm coming through pure. I'm coming through looking like Jesus in the midst of this. I love the story about the Hebrew boys when they were thrown in the fiery furnace. It says that when God brought them out of that fiery furnace, they didn't even smell like smoke. Look around at the people sitting next to you. Just just look around. They look good and they look beautiful, but that's because you don't know the fire that they've been through. (laughs) You know? We have no clue of what some of us has been through, but thank God we don't smell like smoke. And so he's saying, don't lose heart. Just hang in there. Hang in there. The, the, fourth thing, the third thing is, that comes from Peter is there's an encouragement to embrace holiness. And this is a major theme of this book. Holiness. Now, wait, let me say it again so I can see some of your faces. Holiness. I just want to see what that word evokes in you because for different people, it evokes many different things. So I grew up in a tradition where when they talked about holiness, it meant the outward appearance. It meant how you dressed, how you looked, and how you walked, how you talked, you know, praise the Lord, God bless you, you know, those type of things. And there was really this emphasis placed on what you look like. But holiness is not necessarily how you dress. It's not necessarily trying to be perfect in the sense of where it's lived out with an arrogance like, I am holy and I know you're doing the best you can, but you're not. That's that's not what we're talking about. First of all, when we talk about holiness, we're talking about the nature of God. And if you've ever had an encounter with God, you recognize that he's beautiful, he's glorious, he's good. And often what happens when you encounter his presence and you encounter his goodness, sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts us of things in our life that doesn't line up with him. And when he does that, We respond and we say, God, I love you so much. Deal with this thing. Remove it. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, when he encountered the presence of God, he said he he, he had this response, and his response was, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And it says that 
a coal was taken from the fire and placed on his tongue, and it purified his tongue. This man of unclean lips was changed in the presence of God. So holiness is never about condemnation. See, the Holy Spirit never brings condemnation. He brings conviction. Condemnation says, you're so stupid. What do you, you know you're never going to get this. You are stupid. You're ridiculous. God doesn't love you. I told you not to do it again. You got to beware of that voice. That's not God. God is like my little daughter learning to walk when she falls. Oh, baby, come on, get on up. Come on, keep coming towards me. Conviction says, hey, I want to deal with this. I've got something better for you. I've got something I want to do in your life. And so when you're spending time with God and you're encountering him in his presence, holiness is just a byproduct of that. Many people, they go to a tree and they try to make it healthy by dealing with the fruit. You know, if I went to an orange tree and I wanted an apple tree and I start plucking off the oranges and start hanging apples, <laughs> you know, you'd look at me like I was crazy. Why? Because the root determines the fruit. And so all of us have roots. And so holiness, you can't be, don't put the pressure on yourself of trying to produce fruit. All I would say to you is focus on the root. Let your roots sink down into his presence. Let your roots sink down into his words. And pretty soon you'll find yourself popping out some apples. And you'll be like, oh man, it's just a byproduct of when our roots are abiding in him. Think of your own life. The way that you know that you are in Christ is because things you used to do, you don't do no more. Have you ever, you know, been in an altercation with somebody and, you know, you respond well and then you walk away and it just dawns on you? Oh, I would have choked them out two years ago. <laughs> I would have swung at them. Oh, thank you, Lord. You are doing a work in me. See, being in the presence of God, abiding in him, it produces a holiness. Let me read these verses here. Uh, 1 Peter 14 and 16. So you're going to see this holiness come out throughout this letter. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me say a little bit about that. <laughs> now, holiness apart from God can't happen. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And to be holy, another word to say holy, another way to say holy is to be set apart. It means that you're distinct. And so God, he's already redeemed us and we belong to him. So we're already set apart in one sense. In one sense, you are holy as you're ever going to be because you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. 
Now, the Holy Spirit is working in us so that holiness can be manifested. And so when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, it's not like, oh, I'm trying to earn holiness. No, he brings conviction because he's bringing out what he's putting on the inside. And so we are living out this holiness. God says, be holy, for I am holy. And if he lives on the inside of us, it's something we could be by his grace. In 1 Peter 2.9, many of you are familiar with this. Uh, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, he's talking about us now. He's talking about us as family. He's saying that we are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen race. We are new in Christ Jesus. We once were not all family. But now because of the blood of Jesus, we family. We kin because we're related through Jesus Christ. And he's saying that we have been set apart. And where Peter is getting this, he's actually getting it from Exodus chapter 19. When the children of Israel came out of slavery out of Egypt. They were at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the Lord speaks these words to his people. He said, look, you're going to be my people. You're mine. You're going to be a royal priesthood. You are going to be a holy nation because you, the way in which you live, it's going to proclaim the excellency of who I am. When people look at you, and they see the transformation that's taking place in your life, how you are with one another, how you take care of others, they're going to know that God is real. And so this is what holiness does. Holiness is not necessarily perfection in the sense of not trying to make any flaws or, not try, or trying to live without flaws. Holiness really is pursuing God. It's really pursuing him. Now, you know, we sing the songs about God chasing us, running after us, you know, kicking down walls and doing all of that for us, and he does. But I believe the heart of God is moved when he's chasing us and, you know, we're running, but something happens, I believe, in the heart of God when we stop running and we turn around and we begin to run towards him. And we begin to say, God, I want you more than anything this world has to offer. And see, in the Spirit of God, he will deal with those things in your life. You're not under the pressure to have it all fixed in one night. You're not under the pressure to have it fixed all in one hour. All we're doing is letting the roots just sink. <laughs> and we're just soaking up more of his presence, and transformation happens bit by bit, bit by bit. He encourages them 
to live holy, to embrace holiness. You are distinct. Now, the fourth one, the fourth encouragement, I actually have this wrong in my notes. I have it listed as three again. But this encouragement that he gives them is to engage the world. Now, see, holiness means to be set apart, but it does not mean to be disengaged. And another part of the tradition that I grew up in where we thought holiness was all about outward appearance, we also thought it was about separation in the sense of, oh, I don't do, those, I don't do things with unbelievers. God forbid I have to stand in the line in the supermarket with it. It's not that kind of attitude. It's not that kind of holiness. But if you look here, I put in, uh, in the notes here uh, a prayer from Jesus. that he, This is a prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to Calvary. And in John chapter 17 at verse 14, he says this. He's praying to the Father, and he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, that's another holy word, set apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's engaged holiness. Holiness means that we're living in such a way. And why this is important for these believers, because they can't just run their mouth about who they are, which I really don't think that we should do that today. You know, I don't think that we should just bust up in places. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Now, there's a time where you need to speak and you should speak. But I think far too many times we have led with our mouths and there has not been enough leading with our lives. And so, and so why holiness is important is because Peter is saying, hey, lead with your life. Because they're facing all kinds of persecution because they're leading with their life. When it comes time for them to speak or to say something, who's going to have a word against what they say? Well, i I seen how they live. This is, this is nothing but hate because they live in such a way where I know what's being said about them. I know in the way in which they're being accused is just not true. I wonder if your life would get you out of any trouble. Now, we can talk a good game, but I want to have the kind of life that I can lead with. And once again, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about growing. We're talking about a life in process. We're talking about being living examples. So he encourages them. He says, look, you got to engage. You got to be engaged with the world around you. If all of the light leaves the darkness, then we are just steeped in more darkness. But God sends us into the world. Why? Because he wants the light to shine in the midst of the darkness. 
Now, I often use this analogy, and uh, I will ask for you folks here, you Detroit Piston fans, to have mercy on me, have compassion on me. I'm born and raised in Chicago. I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, so I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But Isaiah Thomas, he played for the Pistons Hall of Fame, and he's from Chicago. So we got a little... We got a little love there. But anyway, um, back in the day, the Bulls were playing the Celtics. And, you know, the Celtics, of course, won the game. But, you know, Michael Jordan was putting it on him. He going through the leg, banging it off the glass. I mean, he just was unstoppable. They still lost. And after the game, they asked Larry Bird. They said, hey, you know, what, what did you think about him? And he said, I saw God play basketball. Now, for some of us, that may be blasphemous. But what he was saying is, this is the highest level I've seen the game played at. I wonder if people could say that about the way that we live. That we're living life at such a level the way that we love our own children, the way that we love our spouses, the way that we love our neighbors. If people encounter that and they say, you know, I was going through something hard today and you said something to me and it lifted me. I saw God today. I met God today. I was doubting that he ex existed until I encountered you. That's the holiness that we're being called to. This last part that I want to touch in is found in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, if you... Put yourself in the position of these believers who are suffering this persecution. You know, they were accused of all kinds of crazy beliefs. One of the beliefs that they were accused, one of the things they were accused of is that they were accused of having incestuous relationship. And you can find this in some of the writings of the early church fathers is because that they referred to one another as brother and sister. <laughs> um, the other thing that they were accused of as being cannibals. Can you guess why that one was? Communion, eating the body and drinking the blood. So they were accused of being cannibals when it was words that they were using to describe what they were doing. And so they had to be prepared to give an answer for their beliefs of why do you live this way? Now, what I want to encourage us with is that we need to be prepared to give an answer for the reason we live this way, for the hope that we have. If somebody asks you, hey, what makes you do that? Or why do you believe that? Do you have a response? Could you respond with gentleness and respect? That's a challenge. And I believe that if the Holy Spirit is working in us to set us apart and make us a holy people, then our living, 
our witness should provoke people to ask some questions. You know, I, many of us, we share our faith, but I love to see the level of evangelism rise when people come to us saying, why do you do that? I'm curious. You got a smile on your face and I know things are not going well with you. Why do you do that? There goes the gospel. You have a reason to give an answer to why you believe. Or it could be somebody saying, hey, why, why do you believe, for me, and I've faced this, why do you believe the white man's gospel? And I have to be prepared. I got to know my stuff to say, oh, oh, you've got it twisted. You're believing something that you don't know about. See, before the gospel didn't come to blacks in slavery. It was in Ethiopia long before it was in America. And so you got to have a reason to answer and to respond to people. And of course, that comes with time, to, with studying and spending time with the Lord and reading your Bible and even preparing. So when people ask me these questions, I can't be offended that they're asking questions. Praise God that they're asking questions because it means that they're searching for something. But Holy Spirit, help me to be prepared with an answer. So these are just a few of the things that we're going to look at in this series. I hope you hang on because it's going to form our faith. Even though we may not be in the same exact context, the word of God is life-giving life to us today right where we are. Please stand to your feet. It's um, good to know that when we respond, well, God's grace is always at work, but when we respond to him, we make ourselves available to receive his grace. As the prayer team was praying this morning, there were a few things that they listed that they felt as they were praying, that there's a need for some just that you need trust. You need to be able to trust. You feel like you're losing hope. And you need to be in a place where you don't give up. You need encouragement. You need strength. I would encourage you to please come up. Our prayer team will be ready here to minister to you concerning that. Also, there was a, a sense that prayers for cancer to be lifted. Maybe it's you here who you're struggling with cancer. It may be some other illness or it may be someone that you know. What have you got to lose coming to prayer? Just come to prayer and let them pray, or you could stand in the gap for someone else. They may not be here. You can receive that prayer for them, and you can take it back and pray for them. Also, there was a, a sense of maybe you're here today and you're struggling with suicide, and that voice has been telling you, end it all. There's, there's no life. There's no hope. Please come and receive prayer. If that's you, how else would we have known that unless God has you on his mind? If there's any other things that you're feeling in your heart that you would want prayer for, please come at the end of service. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for such a great salvation that we have. We thank you that you have allowed us to be born again to a new and living hope. Father, I pray 
that you would give us the endurance that we need to stand up under the pressure that we may be facing. All of us have different situations that we're dealing with. God, give us the endurance and help us to see with the eternal perspective, knowing that trouble will not always last, but that our reward comes in being faithful to you. Father, I pray that as a, a people that you would teach us what it means to be holy and to live in a way that brings you glory and honor and provokes the world to want to know you. May we be that royal priesthood. May we be that holy nation that lives in a way that it proclaims your excellencies. And we give you praise in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.